Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Roy Green Show podcast. The news all week long has been about the raid or the search, depending on who you're talking to, of Mar-a-Lago, President Trump's home in, uh, in Florida. Let's talk to our guest, former FBI agent for 20 years, SWAT team member of the FBI, who, among the other investigations, participated in the 9-11 investigation and the Oklahoma City bombings, assistant special agent in charge of overseeing all criminal, cyber, and counterintelligence investigations. He's also a lawyer. His books include Why Teens Fail and What to Fix and Disorderly Conduct. John Ianelli joins us. John, thank you very much uh, for, for taking the time. What's your the view of the developments of the last several days, beginning with the FBI search warrant and the raid of Mar-a-Lago? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. I will tell you, I, uh, I have concern about the search at Mar-a-Lago because I'm not sure it rose to the level of executing an FBI search. Now, the warrant tells us what they were looking for, but maybe there's something more that hasn't been revealed, the motivation. But a lot of this is really procedural stuff. That's why you have attorneys for Donald Trump negotiating with government attorneys, trying to produce whatever documents that they agree to, to escalate it to this level. I certainly see it fracturing the country politically. How does the FBI conduct a search of this magnitude? We're told the Miami office wasn't aware that the D.C. office would search Mar-a-Lago and that the warrant was issued days before the search actually took place. So when a search warrant is signed by a judge, uh, if you're doing it in the same city in which the warrant signed, obviously you can execute it much faster. In this case, I understand the several days delay because... First and foremost, you've got Secret Service agents on location whose job is to protect the former president. There has to be coordination with the Secret Service office to make sure that they're aware somebody's going to be coming in that morning. There was probably conversations with the director of the Secret Service, and the agents on scene may have been informed hours before. Likewise, you have to get your resources down to Florida. You have to be able to set up, coordinate make sure that everybody knows what their position and assignment is. So the three-day lapse does not concern me in that much. Why did they not use the Miami office? Well, this is a very sensitive case. It's essentially need to know until it becomes public. So if the matter is being worked out of D.C., it's easier for the FBI and more practical to use the agents who are actually working this investigation. My guest is John Ionelli. He's a former FBI special agent and a lawyer. You can find him online at FBIJohn.com, FBIJohn.com. People are asking, we're not lawyers, we hear the term affidavit, we hear the term search warrant. How do the two relate? 
So the search warrant is part of what the judge will sign off on. The judge will look at the, the search warrant outlines what the specific violation of law is being alleged and the items that wish to be searched for. So, for example, I'm looking for records pertaining to XYZ, etc. The affidavit is written in first person by the agent. I'm John Yannarelli, an agent of the FBI, and I attest to the following facts. And it will go on for pages and pages outlining what the investigation is, the evidence that's collected to date, the reason we have probable cause to believe that such and such exists at the property. The judge will review the affidavit, and if he finds the affidavit acceptable, that there is probable cause, hence they'll sign off on the warrant. Now, to date, Roy, it's important to point out they've released the search warrant to the public, but they have not released the affidavit. And that's what everybody wants to see. They want to see what was the justification for this warrant. And there's probably reasons, I imagine, why they haven't released the affidavit yet. Are you surprised that they released the search warrant? I'm not surprised they released it at all. I uh, I know that the Trump attorneys uh, were okay with the warrant being released. There was some questions in the first few days. Why would President Trump not just release the warrant himself? Well, the warrant says essentially what the government believes is wrong. It doesn't say anything that would defend you as a defendant in this matter. So there's really no incentive to release it on his part, but it doesn't hurt him either. It's just an assertion by the government that we are going to find these documents. It doesn't prove their case in any way either. The affidavit is what's so important. We want to see the affidavit. And of course, we want to see what they actually collected. I guarantee that's going to take some time to go through all those documents before the government's ready to unseal. Yeah, there's much conjecture of uh, what might have been taken from Mar-a-Lago. There's been conjecture as well about, uh, well, we've heard the word espionage. We've heard the words of nuclear weapons. We've heard um, uh, that the documents were two levels above top secret. So if we take all of that and then throw a grain of salt into it, what's the significance of the search of a former president of the United States home the first time in history this has happened? It's extremely significant that it was done, and that's why the government better have their ducks in a row on this one, because you have opened up the floodgates. It's no longer going to be unprecedented if it happens again in the future. But let me be very clear on something. The Espionage Act sounds very scary. It implies that somebody providing information to a foreign government, etc. It's essentially just the name of the act. It applies to anybody who just mishandles classified documents. It doesn't mean that they're mishandling them for the purpose of helping another foreign country in some way. And likewise, we hear about top secret, classified, sensitive. All of that sounds very special to the general public who hasn't worked with these documents. As an agent, virtually every document that came across my desk was top secret. They're very, very common. There's millions and millions of these documents. So the question here is, what was so special about these documents that not only did they have to come back to the government, but the government had to go ahead and execute a search warrant to get them? We'll find out once they make it public. Yeah. Final question. What next? What next? 
Well, what next is going to be a lot of legal wrangling. There's going to be some pressure, both not only by the Trump attorneys, but by the media to for the government to release, okay, what was located. I can tell you, having worked public corruption cases, white-collar cases, where you're seizing large volumes of documents, it takes a while to go through them. Agents are going to have to sit with these documents, review them singularly to make sure that is this evidentiary or is it just something else we seize. I guarantee you, they collected a lot of papers that will have nothing to do with the case because that happens all the time, and all that will get returned. But once they have gone through everything, we'll know where we stand. The next step, they're either going to say there was nothing there or there'll be a criminal indictment. Privacy concerns over the RCMP's years-long, non-publicly disclosed use of intrusive spyware in major investigations. Now, the cops have to do their investigations, and if they have tools that will assist them, particularly the RCMP, that look at national and international issues, great. But what is the potential for these particular tools? May they cross the bounds into, well, areas the police really should not be involved in. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association has declared what's going on with the RCMP, quote, a pattern pointing to a crisis of accountability. Also, the CCLA, this uh, this week, their reaction to this week's news about documents presented to the federal court concerning Mr. Trudeau's government, invocation of the Emergencies Act. Let's talk about all of this. Uh, we'll start with the EA briefly. Brenda McPhail joins us, Director of Privacy, Technology, and Surveillance Programs for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Ms. McPhail, thank you very much uh, for taking the time. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's uh, busy times for all of us. Lots of questions being asked. So let me ask, uh, first out of the gate, before we get to the RCMP story, which is the gist of why you're here, but we have the developments where the, the federal court and the CCLA is involved in this particular situation. Federal court having seen documents suggesting there may be a potential for a breakthrough, might have been, in February with the trucker's convoy, but they still went ahead with the um, with the invocation of the Emergencies Act. What can you tell us, just in broad strokes, what the CCLA's view of this is? Well, as you as you said, the CCLA is currently before the court on this matter. So um, the documents that were released have been heavily redacted, and we're not really able to comment on the content of those documents or any others that might still be released because our case is before the court. We're waiting anxiously, though, to learn if the court will decide to order further disclosure of documents, because that would be really helpful, particularly considering how much of the documents that have been released have been blocked out. All right, I'll ask you one more question. Has it whetted your appetite for, for more information? Has, this, has what's been released or been made known this week whetted your appetite for more information? Absolutely. I mean, the CCLA's position has always been that we can't properly assess whether or not it was reasonable for the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act without a full and frank disclosure of, of the information that they had at the time that caused them to take that action. Mm-hmm. So we need a judge to be able to see the documents that were part of the decision-making process. That's really important for public accountability. Yeah, and it is the law. They are required to provide that information. And the, uh, the Emergencies Act is the nuclear option for any federal government. Now, under the spyware in the RCMP situation, so the RCMP in possession of spyware um, being used and had the ability and has the ability 
to listen into private Canadian mobile phone conversations. Not saying that's what they did, but it can do it to private Canadian mobile phone conversations and, in fact, take control of the phones by intercepting incoming information and accessing media files as well as turning on your phone's microphone and camera. So let's begin with that, the CCLA's response to this particular spyware being within the uh, RCMP's arsenal and being used for years without any disclosure. Well, we are shocked but not surprised that this is happening and that it's been happening for so many years without any public accountability or disclosure. Not even to the Privacy Commissioner of Canada in a privacy impact assessment and to be clear, even if there are concerns about investigative privilege and protecting public safety by keeping particular tools used secret, the Privacy Commissioner of Canada has the necessary security clearance to look at documents related to a program and keep them confidential if that's genuinely in the public interest. So there's absolutely no excuse for not having involved his office in this. Yeah, I f- just have difficulty. I, I don't mind the RCMP. I understand the RCMP not just going on national radio and television and saying, hey, we have this particular skill and ability in these tools, so we're going to use them to go after the bad guys. But to keep it quiet and away from the privacy commissioner is really raises some red flags. You're also quoted as saying you don't think this is a one-off problem. It's absolutely not a one-off problem. This is just the latest incident in a series of patterns in a pattern where we found out that the RCMP has been using really invasive Um, potentially dangerous surveillance technologies with no public transparency. So first we had MC catchers or cell site simulators, which are tools that let police officers scoop up information about all the cell phones within the radius of a cell phone tower. So, you know, like thousands, maybe even tens of thousands in a busy area of phone information from phones all at the same time. Then we had uh, the revelations that the RCMP were using, what was determined by the Privacy Commissioner to be illegal Clearview AI facial recognition technology for a couple of years without disclosure. And now we've got this revelation about spyware. This is the third time that the RCMP have failed to come public about using categories of controversial tools that have really serious implications for people's charter-protected rights. Yeah, the RCMP is authorized to use these so-called audits only on limited investigations and must be by judicial authorization now. However, based on what you just said, since the RCMP was less than truthful about this program and others, should we feel confident they didn't engage in some surreptitious listening to and watching of Canadians they just, and for whatever reason, may have had an interest in? Well, I think... Legit question, isn't it? It's an interesting question, and I think we have to be careful in answering it, because on the one hand, I mean, I think it's fair to say, and certainly the the three RCMP witnesses who came before the Committee of Parliament studying this matter this week um, were very careful to say that they take the rights and freedoms of people in Canada seriously. They admitted that if they were using it indiscriminately and without a warrant, that that kind of use would be illegal in Canada, and they're aware of that. So I think the fact that they've acknowledged that if they were to use it in ways other than how they've said they're using it, it would be illegal, can give us some comfort that maybe they're not crossing that line, that they 
that they are sufficiently conscious of their duty to protect Canadians, that they're not going to deliberately and knowingly violate the law to do that. I can bet you very few Canadians this week didn't look at their phones a little differently. Look at that uh, camera and look at the on-off switch a little differently. I'm, I'm sure that, I know I didn't, and I haven't done anything wrong, but it's just, oh, really, you can do this. Hmm. So I think that's absolutely true, and that's why it's such a problem that the police don't just stand up and say, hey, people in Canada, we need particular kinds of tools to do difficult investigations. This category of tools, we're not going to tell you which one because that would be a problem, but this category of tools we understand might freak people out. Therefore, we want to have an open or frank conversation where we tell you why we need them, how we're going to limit their use, how we're going to get our use vetted by the appropriate regulator, the Privacy Commissioner in Canada, so that you can be assured that we're not doing anything wrong. Even if we can't give you the nitty-gritty details, there's somebody watching us um, to make sure that we get those details right. And, and after you know all those things, you know, what do you think, people in Canada? It, does this seem like a reasonable thing for your national policing body to do? But they're not doing that. They're doing it again and again, making secret interpretations of the laws that govern them behind the scenes, deciding they can do something all by themselves, and moving forward without the appropriate oversight or transparency. And that's why people are freaked out. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The privacy concerns over the RCMP for years using non-publicly disclosed intrusive spyware in major investigations. And the concern is, well, or the question is, I don't know how much of a concern it is, but the question is, might they have expanded the use of that particular spyware to go after individuals or situations where it might have been to their advantage? David Fraser joins us, one of Canada's premier internet privacy law experts, founder of the Canadian Privacy Law Blog. He's a partner at McKinnis Cooper in Halifax and a frequent guest on this program. David, thank you very much. Do you have any concerns about the RCMP having overstepped its uh, its boundaries using this particular technology? I, I have layers of concerns, and, and probably my number one concern is the fact that they actually probably didn't overstep the, the current rules, which tells me that there's something wrong with the current rules. And I would hope that the parliamentary committee that's looking into this is going to readjust those rules. Okay, so, so the, sorry, go ahead. Well, So the RCMP said they, they got warrants, they got uh, intercept warrants when they turned on the devices to intercept conversations, and they had general warrants to do other things, and, and so this is all done with, with appropriate judicial oversight. But my concern is that for example, they weren't required to go to the privacy commissioner in advance and have the privacy commissioner weigh in or recommend parameters around it. But I'm not sure the Privacy Act is necessarily the best way to fix it. So, uh, so as Brenda mentioned, that, that police in Canada, the RCMP in particular, have used IMSI catchers and denied using them. 
uh, and have used other intrusive technologies and, and things like that. One of the problems that exists is that, the, for example, the Toronto Police and the OPP and other police agencies use these sorts of things as well, but they're not subject to oversight by the Federal Privacy Commissioner. I, I would want to see a mechanism in the criminal code that says police don't get to use new technologies that haven't been announced and reviewed unless they go to a superior court judge, which is what they have to do for a wiretap warrant. Uh, and that court would have to appoint what's called an amicus. That happens regularly in the federal court when CSIS goes looking for warrants uh, so that the technology can be fully explored, the implications of it can be fully explored, the appropriate limitations can be put on its use, that it's only used for serious, serious crimes, for example, kidnapping, imminent terrorism, murder investigations, so that you don't have function creep. Uh, that allows us to be used in, in other sorts of uh, other sorts of circumstances. So I think our, our system related to these has to change because the RCMP sat on this for years and years and years, uh, but they were able to do so, and that's a problem. Yeah, I, I had a question. I don't know if it's relevant anymore, but given the fact that they sat on it for years and years and years, and now these questions are being asked, do you think this might have an impact on criminal or national security evidence? the RCMP may bring before the courts? Probably not at the end of the day. As long as it was collected, the evidence was collected with judicial authorization pursuant to a lawful warrant, um, then they're able to able to do that. You know, some of those warrants might be vulnerable to being challenged if the RCMP or the police agency wasn't sufficiently forthright with the court about exactly what it was that they were going to do. There's a duty of candor because there's, there's nobody on the other side. Uh, so the the affidavit used and the testimony used to support getting the warrant has to be completely clear and transparent and, and actually supposed to talk about both sides to the extent that that's, uh, that that's applicable. So there may be issues. I'm also concerned that if the RCMP can break into my phone, other people can break into my yeah, phone. Yeah, exactly. Can break in. And so if the RCMP is aware of vulnerabilities that exist in, let's say, Android or iOS that they can exploit, that means that they know that there are back doors in devices that bad guys can exploit. And bad guys are exploiting this sort of stuff. In fact, there's a whole industry, uh, and we don't know who the RCMP is getting this tech from, but there's a whole industry of companies that try to find these exploitable back doors and then sell the technology to authoritarian governments that are being been involved in, in massive abuses of, of human rights and civil rights. And... I think there's an ethical obligation on the part of at least the government of Canada, if they're aware that these back doors exist or these vulnerabilities exist, they should be telling the vendors because it doesn't just affect a couple bad guys. It affects every one of us who walks around with a smartphone in our pocket. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we know, or the government knows, representing us, what specific spyware the RCMP is using. Oh, and absolutely, and, and, and how it's been. Somebody needs to know, and somebody needs to needs to review, and somebody who's who's not with the Department of Public Safety and not with the with the RCMP, somebody who is independent at arm's length, who can actually help determine what's the appropriate balancing. This is the nuclear option of surveillance. This is giving the RCMP an invisibility cloak, and allowing them to sit on your living room sofa completely undetected, or on your bedside table. My my phone is always in my pocket. And when it's not in my pocket, it's on my bedside table. 
And so it travels with me wherever it goes. And, and so not only would it, if you turned on the microphone, would it pick up my conversations, you'd probably pick up the conversations of my family members and, and others, yeah. setting aside the fact that many of my conversations are, are legally privileged uh, as, a, as a lawyer. It is the nuclear option. And frankly, I, I do not trust the RCMP or frankly any law enforcement agency or the Department of Public Safety to do the appropriate balancing to determine is this appropriate in all circumstances or some circumstances, what are those circumstances? It's certainly a terrorism, kidnapping, murder. Um, if it's a last resort and this is all they have left to adequately investigate or to prevent the loss of life, it may be absolutely appropriate. But is it appropriate in, in other forms of uh, forms of offenses? Mm. Somebody needs to think about that. Has the Donald Trump investigation, the FBI search of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, and the release of the Mar-a-Lago search warrant deepened political battle lines not only in Washington, but also individual states in the United States now reaching crisis levels? Question mark. Media organizations, i.e. U.S. cable news, are attacking each other and taking positions on Donald Trump, the Democrats, and the Republicans. So I, I, I saw some of this and heard some of this, and I thought, you guys, you're, you're not the story, but they are. Jane Kirtley is a professor, Sila, Sila. How do you say that, Jane? Scylla. Scylla. I've only known you for 20 years. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> just mental block. Okay, the Scylla, professor of media ethics and law at the University of Minnesota. She's the co-author of Media Ethics Today. I'm so sorry. Great to talk to you. Always good to talk to you, Roy. So let's start with this. You're a, you're a law professor, a media ethics professor. What are your thoughts on the issuance of the warrant to search the home of the former president of the United States? Well, I think what's important to remember is that this warrant followed um, at least one and probably more subpoenas. And as you know, a subpoena is something that, as we lawyers say, is not returnable immediately. You've usually got 30 days to respond, to file a motion to quash, uh, to try to negotiate. I mean, all, all of those are, are normal practices in law enforcement when they are, are seeking information or materials. And the, end, the, rule, the, the story that we're getting now is that, indeed, the Trump uh, folks returned a bunch of the material, but that there was still uh, materials out there that had not been returned. And that, well, I guess, the search warrant, which, which was approved by a federal judge, was actually approved some time ago, but was only acted upon this past Monday. Um, it, rhetoric is an interesting thing, isn't it? Uh, some people are referring to it as a raid. Um, from what I understand, it sounds like it was a pretty typical service of a search warrant. Um, they went in uh, based on what uh, the warrant permitted, what the affidavit, as far as we know, supported. They seized those materials, and then they left, and that's kind of what typically happens. And I would add that they also created an inventory, which uh, I believe one of Trump's lawyers signed off on as, you know, these are the 30 items that are being removed from Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, it's interesting that it took uh, 18 months for this to happen, and they had that, as you said, they had the search warrant signed some time ago, but they waited until Monday. Uh, there's got to be a lot on this. Let me ask you about the media side of things. U.S. cable news stake out political territory, and they become de facto representatives of that territory, whether it's left, whether it's right. Left is, M let's just say, MSNBC, right is Fox. Uh, and and then they, they they just defend that territory. 
What do you think about that? Is that is that just the way of the world in 2022? Uh, or is there something significantly, significantly wrong going on here? Well, as, as somebody who you know, was trained as a journalist many, many years ago in the, in the principle that other than for editorials, news organizations are supposed to try to act independently, and by independently I mean independent of any particular administration or any particular political party's agenda, I'm appalled by this, and you and I have talked about this before. I find it really, really offensive in the context of something that is of such at least potential national significance. We've never had anything like this happen before. And, I mean, there, there are some similarities with some things that happened with Hillary Clinton and others, but in terms of, a, of a, an ex-president, this has never happened before. So this is huge uh, for obvious reasons, and I think it is an incumbent upon media organizations, no matter what their political stripe may be, to play this right down the middle to explain to people what's going on as best they can, because, of course, information is dribbling out. We don't know everything right now, and there are some things I suspect we will never know, given the classification of of a lot of these records, allegedly. But be that as it may, um, when they start riding a hobby horse for either side, I think um, it's really contributing to the polarization of the people of the United States. As you know, um, there are very uh, you know, avid followers of Fox. There are equally avid followers of MSNBC, CNN, and so forth. And it really has become an echo chamber to a great extent. Again, if somebody is a pundit who is there to provide uh, a viewpoint or analysis, that's one thing. But the kind of thing you're discussing has been part of what they bill as newscasts. And, and I just think that that's that's wrong. I'm a, I'm a minority, I guess, of, of a few in saying that, but it just seems to me that it's abrogating what I think is the core mission of anybody that calls itself a news organization, which is to illuminate and provide information and, you know, as the saying goes, let the public decide after they've heard what you had to say. Yeah, they battle it out on the air, challenging competing networks, and uh, the story's almost forgotten at some point, or the essence of the story's forgotten it. Well, I, sh- I share your your view. I mean, I, I'm not going to go after another broadcast outfit. It it would wouldn't serve our listeners. Uh, they'd say, "Why is Green doing that?" They say that anyway. But um, it, it's just it just wouldn't make any sense. We have 60 seconds here, Jane. Are you? Oh, I require so much time. But are you worried about your country, about the U.S. now, and the political and philosophical divide? I'm very worried, and I worry because I I don't see a way forward. Uh, We just had a primary election here in Minnesota. Um, It went peacefully, as far as I know, and nobody's accusing anybody of stealing votes or anything like that. But that hasn't been the case in many of our other states. And given that the public's confidence in the systems on both the state and federal level have been seriously undermined, um, and nobody's prepared to agree on any set of facts. I mean, it's fine to disagree on what should be done with those facts, but we can't even agree on the facts. Yes, I am worried going forward. And again, what worries me the most is I don't see a clear path ahead. As many have said, uh, the midterm elections of 2022 are going to be very telling in terms of what direction the country goes um, after, after this coming November. That's it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us. The Roy Green Show is available wherever you find podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. 
If you liked what you heard, tell a friend and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend.